Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from the Word. Rock band yeah. manager, isn't it? Because you see Penny Rimbo from because they used to run the protest, didn't they? Crass. Before the before the protest got turned into band Yeah, but many many sightings of uh, <laughs> Edward Tudor pole as well. Absolutely, it's often to be seen. Did you uh, join the Stop Nando's campaign? No, because I support. Uh, and now eat there all I'm the time. Right? Nando's is great. Yeah, well, obviously, being in Stoke Newington, there was a campaign to stop it. Because it was yeah. a chain. Because it was a chain. And then, uh, which I obviously signed, uh, but now I eat there most yeah. of <laughs> Thoroughly well, enjoy it. I, I, did st- I did join the Stop Tesco's campaign. Which, and I shop which, No, no, no. Well, actually, only for one thing, because you can't get decent cooked meat anywhere around our way. Only kind of, uh, you know, window... Hello. No, smokies. Um, you know, African, um, you know, health and safety terror meets where they kill it with a blowtorch and then just leave it. But you are place. in East Berlin, you're on the wrong side of the house. So this is, that's the end of the Stoke News and Residents Association <laughs> <laughs> weekly oh, meet. This, 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 this is the Word Podcast. I'm yeah. David Hepworth uh, and I'm joined by Andrew Harrison and Barry McElhenney. And uh, twiddling the faders, Fraser Lurie over there. Say hello, Fraser. Hello, Fraser. And uh, we've got a bit of football football um, business to start with. Because I realise you chaps are the only people I can talk to about this. Did any of you watch Match of the Day 2 on, on Sunday night? I'm a big fan of Match of the Day 2. Mm-hmm. Did you notice what Alan Pardew said? No. I was, he, he was talking, I think, after the, after the Aston Villa game or something like that. And uh, you may know, sorry, it's, it's even noisier than normal. We've actually got, we've got tree surgeons outside the office. In the room. I'm going I'm to pull some blinds down and I hope that we can get the tree surgeons I, coming up. Carry on, Dave. I, this is it's going to be like recording a podcast in Jellystone Park, this is, I think. You know, they're actually going to hear the sound of sawing. And then timber! Timber! Then there'll be a creak. Uh, but somebody's actually cutting down a tree uh, outside. Anyway, he was talking about a game, and he was talking about how somebody took the, one player took the ball off another player. And I'm slightly sleepy. It's Sunday night. I'm ready to go to bed. And he, I thought, did he actually say what I think he just said? He said he absolutely raped him there. Did he? Did he? Somebody said. And I looked at this. I thought I can't have heard that properly. And I thought. Is this a live program or whatever? Well, if it, it, it must be live because yeah. otherwise they would have gone back and re-recorded it. 
Adrian Charles has surely got the director yelling in his ear, immediately apologise, which is, yeah. which is standard BBC policy on anything yeah, controversial. I, yeah, I apologise anything at all, even if it's not the problem. And I thought, yeah. well, clearly I've misheard it. I'm, I must have just got that wrong. But, according to the paper I was reading today, he did say it. And there have been a storm of complaints, as you would expect. Must be football manager parents for taking the ball off well, or hammering it's, in. I've never well, heard it that. Used, there used to be, uh, you know, uh, warnings beforehand about you know industrial language where people express themselves in no uncertain terms. But you don't expect it to go out and match the day. There's been a rape, like the end. But I was amazed that there was a bit of football parlance when you consider how much football there is on the radio and television. I was amazed that there was a bit of parlance that we'd never heard before. I thought when you, when you said Alan Pardew, you were going to say Alan Pardew. It's the yeah. kind of thing Pardew would say. It's the kind of thing Pardew would say, yes. <laughs> oh, that's just a rape, that's yes. it. Oh, anyway, it was extraordinary. Um, on last week's podcast featuring Kate Mossman and Mark Allen, we were talking about um, we were talking about things people, unfortunate cliches people uh, used in reviews. And various people have pitched in. I don't know what your, uh, I don't know what your views are on these. I was slightly worried about that because as a word reviewer, I listened to it and then followed the thread of the website and was ticking off the various ones that I've used over my time. Well, I think the point is we've all done it, haven't we? We, we, we you know, we've all been hectically <laughs> reviewing <laughs> something while we're listening to it. <laughs> we got it. Yeah. Have you ever used Andrew <clears throat> Phil Spector's Wall of Sound? Well, my question to you is, what other kind of wall of sound is there? It's a to- it's not just a, a, an offence; it's a tautology as well. Okay. That's true. So I think uh, you know. Well, uh, what, what does a Phil Spector wall of sound mean anyway? To me, it's like it's a lot of castanets. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's a record that sounds like Phil Spector record in 1963. I prefer Spectre esque. Spectre esque. Go get me, guys. I am. It is my bloody bugbear esque. God. And esque and centric. Isn't yes. esque oh. is okay if you use it sort of in inverted commas? So, you, so you're, oh, you're in on the ground. That's, that's, that's how yeah. it's used to get away with the cliche. Just uh, yeah. put inverted commas yeah. around them and you can do it. Yes, mornings and crescents. That's, yeah, you're you're in, invoking rules there to, uh, you know, to get around this. So this is from Lucas Hare, Phil Spector Wall of Sound, and also Beach Boys Harmonies. He says, which yeah. you used to describe anything with harmonies. What other sort of harmonies? <laughs> Well, I suppose they're, they're generally kind of, they're, they're uh, falsetto-ish, aren't yeah. they? They, they tend to be a bit there's, there's Beastie Boys harmonies where you basically all shout the same note at the same time. And then the third one shouts it louder at the end. While styling with your hand on your cross. Exactly. Earl Grey Jr. Uh, says perfect pop is overused, which it certainly yeah. is. Because actually, what does it mean? Yeah, you kind of, is there such a thing as imperfect pop? Well, actually, you could say the greatest pop is actually yeah, imperfect. Yeah, that's what makes it good. It's, it's imperfect. Yeah, and it's yeah, full, of, full of holes and mistakes, yes. which, make, which is what yeah. makes it good. Uh, Kid Presentable says the one adjective that's extremely overused recently is cerebral. And yes. I think he's right. Which some people would even pronounce cerebral. Cerebral. Mm. What does that mean? Clever? A brainy, doesn't it? Just means you, don't, brainy. you don't have to do much to be brainy in the world of pop music. It's a, it's a way. It's a way of saying of saying brainy. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Chris G uh, points out one cliche that I think d- does deserve highlighting, which is meditation on. It's a meditation yeah. on. It's a meditation on the name of subject. See, the, 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 what I found myself doing is using the uh, the spotlight function on the Mac, which searches every single document on your Mac to find terrible things like meditation and find out if I've done it in the past and I have a, a big times. list comes up a list of shame appears in the corner of the computer as Chris points out it's a hopeless phrase because meditation is a wordless consideration of a subject yeah therefore it cannot apply to you know a film or a book or anything that purports uh, to be a meditation that's true. people are also always describing things as a song cycle 
And wow. things, are, things are only song cycles if they come back to the beginning. I, I did. I, I've, I've got to confess. Years ago, when Elvis Costello put out that record, the um, the Juliet Letters. Do yes. you remember his record with the was the, the Brodsky Quartet? Quartet. 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 Yeah. Quintet, I can't remember. Um, which was based on a load of letters that people used to write to Romeo yeah. and Juliet at the University of Padua or something like that. Yeah. And I was set up to do a radio interview with Elvis about this. And I pathetic attempt that radio interviewers do. I fell into the Nicky Campbell trap, trying to, by <laughs> my opening question, show that I was abreast of the subject. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you Leng- done that? Lengthy question. No, yeah. Not even lengthy. I said, so is this what you call a song cycle? <laughs> and he sure. said... No, because it doesn't go back to the beginning again. Yeah. Um, oh, get yourself back from that one. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't go back. It's a meditation yeah. on uh, iconic songs. <laughs> well, <laughs> iconic. You said iconic I listened to Jonathan Meads last That's night. exactly what I was just thinking about. I hate iconic. Well, iconic and channeling as well as another one. Channeling the spirit of. Well, no, channeling, you know. Jonathan Meads has written an entire article on the use of the word iconic, the overuse yes. of the word iconic, on how everything now is hmm. iconic and has, and has tracked the whole list of, of, of everything that can possibly be iconic. Yes. Which ranges from an iconic Coventry City shirt, you know, an iconic this, that. Well, what, what actually so would be iconic? What does it mean? Well, well I mean, iconic is like an icon, isn't it? It's a visual representation. Like of like an icon. Sacred, well, his, I think his point is that everything is now deemed to be iconic. It's just become uh, a sort of lazy journalistic term. Like Not that we would ever be. It's verbal inflation, isn't it? It's yes. like any any band have been around for two years now, legendary, aren't they? Yeah. Well, everything's yeah. legendary. Yes. Or yeah. I, I have had to say to people, the only things that are legendary are unicorns, knights, yes. and ancient princesses. They're That's legendary. A good one. Yeah. And things iconic things include, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary. Uh, represented in Eastern European art. Yes. And very little else. Yes, absolutely. What else is iconic? No, it Pete Wiley? <laughs> <laughs> Norman Hunter? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I heard uh, Pop Magazine describing itself as iconic the other day. After one, after what, one, 20 odd issues. Yeah. Iconic, yeah. So, there you go. Are we iconic, Dave? Uh, I don't think you're so. You're iconic. I'm, you're on Live Aid. I'm, I'm, uh, yes, you're, you're our own I'm votive a, I'm a, presence. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a historical figure. Yeah. I'm like an old chap staggering back from, cha- the, yeah. from the smoke of Waterloo. You We're channeling the iconic spirit of I heard the, the oldest survivor of the First World War being interviewed last night. Did you hear that? He was presented with the Is he a subscriber? By, by, Do you want a biscuit? <laughs> he's 112. <laughs> he must be a, a fair yeah. age. 112. He's the last surviving uh, member of the original Royal Flying Corps. Did he say, please stop asking? me about the war it was years ago <laughs> no he just he just kind of made a noise he couldn't really you know, forming words was a little bit difficult but fair enough you know, fair place yeah a genuine years. legend anyway chaps Iconic. I wanted to talk about the legendary <laughs> comic relief which took uh, place um, th- this weekend um, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm like probably like lots of people who listen to this podcast I don't look to be in front of a telly on Comic Relief Night because it sort of gets me in a bad mood. Yes. Does it, does it do that with you? I never watch it. I can't <laughs> well, I find myself watching it. I, mean, I wasn't intending to, but we're all slumped in the living room. It's yeah. Friday night, and the kids are quite keen on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of ended up, and actually they kind of forced me into making a donation, which went slightly against my... Uh, <laughs> Better, better, better judgment. Yeah. And of course, it's so easy now to make a donation. You just either hit the red button or text a certain number, and you suddenly find that your account has been 
stripped yeah. by around 20 pounds. But there were parts of it that I did quite enjoy, uh, other parts of it less so. You see, I actually, I, when my kids started watching it, I, I retired to bed in a bad mood. But I have watched bits of it via the miracle of the iPlayer. You know, because yeah. you know, you can choose the bits you well, want you to watch. Well, you get the edited highlights. And, yeah. I, and the bits I wanted to watch, I, I was rather taken with. What bits did you like then? Come on. I'd say, well, the... And I know that this man is public enemy number one this week because he's really overexposed. But James Corden's bit with the England football team, mm. I thought was remarkable. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> but you're right about James Corden. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, what's extraordinary, I think, about James Corden is governance, the, governance, the whole governance Stacey thing and the, the two key characters, James Corden and Matthew Horne, have gone from pretty much unknown... Yeah. To wow, aren't they amazing? To down the dump to sick to death off. Yes. But don't you think this is the nature of the way television is programmed nowadays? Because the same thing is happening with the wire. That the Uh, wire started off as something you really had to seek out. So the people that sought it out did so and loved it. Yeah. And then told everybody else. Yeah. And then at the point it becomes overground, everybody goes, "What's all the fuss about?" In in fairness, though, that's our reader saying, "Please shut up about the wire." I'm sure the same thing if you looked elsewhere in television. But also, what you find so much now. What you'd also find is that people are sick of things they haven't seen yet. I'm sick of Horn and Corden. I've only ever seen them on the Brits. I've never seen Gavin and Stacey. Sick of the idea. And I'm sick to death of them. And I actually think the Brits was the tipping point for them. Because those nasty jokes about Craig David. Yeah, I think we're starting to be like, you guys have just turned into the same. Well, anyway, you should see, and you should look at it, find it on YouTube, Mm. the England team. No, it's fantastic. I love that. Because basically, it's it's supposed to be a subplot of Gavin and Stacey, where his character, Smithy, the the plumber, goes to fix the central heating at the England team hotel and then finds himself in a room with Beckham, Rio Ferdinand... The whole lot, John Terry... Everybody pretty much apart from Stephen Gerrard. Must have been injured or something. I don't know. And and delivers a team talk to them. Pretty rousing stuff. It's it's brilliantly done. You're not looking impressed. If you go and look... (laughs) No, honestly, it's really funny. And if you go and look on the web, you'll see there's a five-minute film about how they did it. And clearly... They had been, you know, it, 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 which tells you a huge amount about how difficult it is to get access to celebrities yeah. nowadays. Because this was comic relief. It's a big thing. It's a very big deal. Yeah. And this was, you know, uh, James Corden and, you know, it was the BBC. And obviously they'd had to get down on their bended knees to the Football Association and said, can you get us some players? And they were all in that room together. They were in that room. I was hoping that you weren't thing. going to say to me it was spliced no. together. Well, I would imagine that they spliced part of it together. But he was certainly in the room with them. They would have done retakes of part of his stuff yeah. after they'd gone. But basically, they got them in the room. They're obviously coming from some function. I don't know whether they've been to 10 Downing Street to meet the Prime Minister or whatever. They're all in their England blazers and so forth. Into the room, filmed that thing, went out in 21 minutes. And so James Corden was faced with these guys, had no warm-up whatsoever, oh, wow. and had to, had to risk, you know, this is a high-wire act. That makes it even better. I'm going to do a comedy routine, routine and I'm going to look down, and the unimpressed faces I'm going to see belong to... Yeah, the most unimpressible people in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Tough room. They're not going to make life easy for you, are they? At all. They're not going to say, let's help him. Yeah. They're vaguely embarrassed. They're not quite sure what they should yeah. be doing. They'd like to be upstairs on the PlayStation. Don't really want to be there. Yeah. And I thought it was remarkable. And, yep. uh, you know, you can tell the relief 
flooding over him and the director when they came out. It was room actually quite a it. good speech he gave as well, wasn't oh, it? it was he, he touched upon quite a lot of stuff out that people secretly think, like, could I have my money back, please? <laughs> that when I put <laughs> my tickets to the Euros. Yeah. Um, you know, David James, sort your hair out. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said to Frank Lampard at one stage, do you know a guy called Stephen Jones? Well, <laughs> do you like him? Yeah. Well, pass to him occasionally. I might watch it now. It's, oh, it's, yeah, honestly, yeah, it's, quite good. it's worth a look. Uh, okay. uh, the way that, you know, of all the things that are done in that in that yeah. mode, that is, I think, remarkably... Was it as good as the stars go up Kilimanjaro, then? Well, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? It was better than that. Well, Do you thing. watch that? Of course, I didn't yeah, watch I it. I watched that. No, go on, Barry. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, Kilimanjaro is not Mount Everest, firstly, is it? it it's, oh, it's hard work. It, but it's, it's not... Says a man who has yet to climb Parliament Hill. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it not, took you a while to get up the stairs. don't get to the top, isn't that right? It's a walk, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, oh, it's, it's a hike. Hard work. It's, not, yeah. it's not a climb. It's not a cramp. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Have well, you been up there, Fraser? You've been everywhere else. No, no, friends do have, and it's a walk. It's a walk. <laughs> the air is very it's thin. Walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a it's a long walk. You don't need training. Oh, right. I don't. I've got a friend who did a I sense, as I say, never having climbed anywhere myself, I sense they inflated it slightly. Um, but yeah, it's still interesting to see them go up. I thought it was handled quite well, the studio. It was quite interesting to yeah. hear their. Their so memories of Kilimanjaro. They took so who went supplies, up? didn't they, just in case they got trapped? <laughs> yeah. You know, who were going to eat first? Miles. Who went up? Fern. Um, Fern Cotton, Cotton. Cotton. Not Fern Britain. <laughs> Frank Cotton. Not Gastric Band. Yeah, Frank Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Moyles. Roman <laughs> Keating. Uh, yes. Cheryl Cole. Um, Some other one from uh, Girls Aloud. Was it Nicole? One, one, of, the, one of the other ones who's not Gary Barlow. Gary Barlow. Gary Barlow. With the exception of her from Girls Aloud, this reminds me of the Simpsons episode where they faked <laughs> the destruction of the Earth so they could put everybody on a space shuttle and get rid of them. All the celebrities they hated, like Rosie O'Donnell and Courtney Love. Well, listen, was a, I, give, I give them very points. charitable answers. I give them points for going. Yeah. I give them points for going. Yes. And, you know, for anybody doing something like that, and I give them points for giving their time up for charity and so forth. The thing that struck me was the, the people I wanted to criticise were the BBC, because it was the way the film was made. In that there were, you know, these kind of undernourished celebrities being effectively carried up a mountain. And Chris Moyles. <laughs> Carried up a mountain by 30 Gurkhas Bearers You know what I mean Tanzanian porters Yeah Who took everything ahead You know Pitched the tent So that it was there Every night You know They got a Mm. There was a perfect campsite And to be fair to the celebs They kind of They did say Well well, we wouldn't have done it Without these guys And they've been remarkable But the film Paid no mind To the African context Whatsoever You know what I mean It was It took place in Oh, a place called Africa. It's all over the there. Same. Over yeah. there. You know what I mean? And there's some... Um, and the only kind of... The only locals that we met were when individual celebs went off to villages mm. to do the kind of looking sympathetically at undernourished babies or, you know... Yeah, malaria. Oh, malaria campaign, yeah. anti-malaria campaigns or all that kind of stuff. There was, it was not joined up. You know, it was Africa is just completely... I think well, the other problem I always find with it, you know, and I know I'm not the first person to say this, is you have a group of celebrities there who I'm sure do their bit for charity and make donations, but they earn an awful lot of money yeah. on a tiny percentage of what the people on the, on that stage uh, make. You know, w- w- would save me having to give my kind of hard-earned <laughs> yeah, you should still over. I you do it as still, well. You should still give that. But I always feel... I always feel yeah. Chris well, Moyles, Jonathan Ross particularly, I mean, you know, yeah. how, 
Whoever decided the BBC, I know who's going to front yeah, a charity. 18 million pound yeah. a year, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I worked out the other day that over the course of the year, I give about 1% of my salary to charity. Ta- a tithe. It's, a tithe. It's not a lot of money. But I wonder if Jonathan Ross or any of the other celebrities, they get well, it, maybe it would be considerably more. Well, for Chris Moyles, that would be £6,300. Okay. His salary is £630,000, according to that's the, from the BBC, BBC website. Yeah. So the, I'm basic, sure, I'm sure the basic salary just yeah. from his show would be £6,300. Well, well, let's assume that they yeah. do. Because who are we to say that they don't? They may, yeah. they may well do that. I'll tell you the thing that struck me about the change in the nature of charity represented by Comic Relief is that nowadays we only largely can be seen to give money if we're amused. You know, that's the exchange that goes on. Look at these people doing these extraordinary things. Isn't it a laugh? Yeah. Well, it won't cost you much to give, to give some money. And it struck me that the heyday of charity, oddly enough, in Britain was the kind of Edwardian, late Victorian era, yeah. where people, a lot of people who had nothing, yeah. gave because they sort of thought it was their social duty. Well, they also thought God was watching. There was a bit and of And they'd that. better give it all, or they'd be paying in the long run. But it still, still, it still amazes me, you yeah. go around huge parks in major industrial cities in Britain, I don't know how it is in Liverpool, but this is the case in Leeds and Bradford <laughs> they, they or whatever. They have parks. I know they have parks. <laughs> But the parts very often built by public subscription. Absolutely. Yeah. Great work. So they just went around to people and said, give us some money yeah. and we'll build a park. Whereas now you have to have a load of celebrities, climb a hill, <laughs> and you head around Butler Tax. That's now the exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it We've come a long on. way. I'd like to state to make the case for boring charities, the charities that don't entertain you, yes. that don't give you a poster. That, and, and when they send you, what's your recommended boring charity? Well, as a as a proud atheist, I give to Christian Aid because it's the least <laughs> hip charity around, <laughs> and they seem quite good and they seem quite effective. Help the aged, that would be a good. Help one. the aged, yeah. Nothing uh, cool about yeah, Nothing for animals. Animals are rolling in it. Animals <laughs> yes. get more money than they know what to do with. Don't, Donkeys don't and birds. Start. After Squirrel Gate, don't start. Squirrel Gate. <laughs> Have you tried the Cajun Squirrel Crisps, by the way, Barry? I haven't actually. We're going to send a thing to Andrew <laughs> Collins and see what he thinks about Cajun Squirrel Crisps. <laughs> the word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So listen, today is a special day for Barry. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. <laughs> Viewers, Kiss me, I'm Irish. If you can only see his giant foam hat. It's and a his massive big, uh, green hat and it's a got tray a, of Guinness in yeah, front of and me. He's got a big green uh, foam hand with a finger pointing <laughs> in the air saying, Ireland's number one. It, it, it's, a, it's a rare occasion, actually, that Word Magazine manages to synchronise, you know, everything to, to reflect days like this, because in the current issue uh, of Word, which is on sale now, which has got Pet Shop Boys on the cover, uh, the, the best and worst... Uh, it was, for once, not done by... Uh... It's, well, it's done by our special correspondent, Eamon Ford, <laughs> of Ballymena County Antrim, um, who appears in it with his face in the shamrock, uh, choosing the best and worst Irishman. The w- he calls it the best and worst of global Irishness. I'm here as the comprehensible Eamon Ford. <laughs> my, my accent's bad enough, but when I heard Eamon, I thought, that I know why they're getting me in. <laughs> I have lived and worked amongst these people. I can translate <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic list. I wouldn't necessarily have gone with Carl Coughlin as the greatest Irishman. Because I'd never heard of him. He's yeah. a tad obscure. I love yeah. Michael Disney and the Fatima Mansions, but it's not the natural choice. But who it was who a very, would you have gone for? It's a very entertaining list. You see, I'd probably go, I'd go with something like Bestie or Alex Higgins. Yeah. Lord, Bestie's Lord, on the worst list. Bestie's on the worst, which I thought was a surprising choice. And I know what Eamon means, because yeah. he squandered his talent. Yeah. But I quite like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you suggesting that that's a worthy representation of Irishness? I just think it's a very kind of Belfast thing. You've got the classic, you know, threesome. You've got Van der Man, you've got 
Alex Hurricane Higgins, you've got George Best. They've all got a certain, certain thing in common. They're all a little bit grumpy. They've all possibly thrown away the, <laughs> yeah, the talent of their youth. Yeah. They're all a little bit grumpy. I would have had them on the best list, probably. So you would have done a, you would have done a list of the best and worst of global northern Irishness. Yeah, I would have limited it to the six counties only. <laughs> <laughs> and then within that, ideally, just to Belfast. Right. See, Barry's, uh, I've known Barry a long time, and uh, Barry is one of the few people I know during the Six Nations rugby who can, who can get away with supporting just about everybody. Yeah, I go with, well, I can go with Northern Ireland. Uh, uh, I'll go with Ireland, obviously, Northern Ireland when it comes to football. Uh, France, because I live there. Yes. Oh, I, England, because I live here now. Yeah. Scotland, they're Celtic. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody bar the world. So you've got everything coming, <laughs> haven't you? Of course, this weekend, the Irish go down to Cardiff to take the Grand Slam, we hope. Well, we'll, we'll see. That's a rugby reference, by Is the way. Uh, <laughs> so, St. Patrick's Day, uh, as a, as a card carrying, you know, thoroughbred English person, <laughs> I don't think I noticed St. Patrick's Day until I was about 30 years old. I think it's grown. Oh, it recently. has. It's become like everything else. It's sort of become marketable. Um, I think Ken Livingstone certainly made a big thing of it when yeah. he was mayor of London and introduced the concept of the parade. Obviously, the further away you go from Dublin, the bigger the parade gets. Oh, does it? So if you go to Sydney, so what do they do in Dublin? If you, you, oh, have Dublin, you been in Dublin? You, Dublin's a national holiday today, so right. a public holiday. So they're the, all at home in the Republic. Bed. So they're all at home, just about to make their way down. The tiles will be off around <laughs> half eleven. First of the day. Um, New York, massive, obviously. Yeah. Huge parade. Green beer. Sydney, very big. And obviously, because you've got the Irish everywhere, everywhere can have a little St. Patrick's Day. I remember being in New Orleans on St. Patrick's Day um, with various various people who clearly had never been to Ireland wearing those badges saying, kiss me, I'm Irish. You know, everybody's Irish for the day. Yeah. See, why does that work? How's that? Is there any other nationality on earth? that everybody feels that they can kind of appropriate something. They feel that there's a kind of personality goes yeah. with it. I, they don't say that about being Spanish. You certainly don't have anything like yeah. the same for St. George's Day, David. Oh, it's well, certainly not St. George's Day. I'm not allowed to St. George's Day. It's very tricky St. George's Day. So it's it's a a huge you get all kind of, you know... You see, once, you, once you've run the world, it's always difficult, you know. Yeah. Go and ask the Americans, you know. Ask the Chinese in future. Yeah. It'll always be difficult. Well, the, the, the stuff that goes with the, um, you know, the kind of the stereotypical St. Patrick's Day's behaviour is... It's just very attractive, isn't it? Yeah. It's an excuse to get drunk. It's, it's an excuse to wear daft clothes. It's an excuse to do all kinds of things you would never do under normal circumstances. And it's very easy for people to buy into it. But it's also, yeah. it's also, is it not? <laughs> Sounds like Jeremy Paxman. Yeah. Um, that, that somehow Irishness has become identified with the kind of unconventional, hesitate to use the word rebel, mm. posture. That everybody yeah. likes to feel they identify with, yeah. you know, the, the kind of yeah. I, the great outsider. The kind of I think there's some yeah. of that. I think it's sort of very hedonistic. It's anti-establishment. It's and I think it's Irishness has become sort of marketed, yeah, as as a brand of we're all having a bit of a laugh, we're all joining in, and how we're all having it, a go at this. Yeah. How much does this chime with Ireland itself? There's no relation to it whatsoever. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you do get a priest ridden. (laughs) (laughs) Your father's church. George wrote about. You do. You do get a certain. a certain element of that sort of spirit in Ireland, but it's probably, as I say, the further away you go from Ireland. So it's the thing you take with you. Mm. Yeah, the more you can reduce it down to just partying. Yeah. Right. But also, there's, there's a, a, particularly in America, there's a real tendency for people to find a great-great-uncle who once went to Donegal, and that be- you are now Irish. Of course. You kind of ascribed yourself that identity, and 
throw yourself into it, not just in uh, on St. Patrick's Day, but at other times. Well, well. Jack Charlton was the great exponent of that. Yeah. When Jack Charlton was manager of the Irish football team, he, you know, basically, if your great great grandfather had gone to court for the weekend and had a pint of Guinness yes. and you could play football, you yes. were in the team. So they famously at one stage had a team, none of whom knew the national anthem. The anthem would come on and they would just yeah. stare at the camera. <laughs> Tony Cascarino would be playing for us. The very Irish uh, yeah. Mr. Cascarino. Laurie Sanchez playing for us. <laughs> the Irish football team. <laughs> <Mexican mistake. laughs> Did the Irish football team sing that same terrible song no. that the Irish rugby team sing no, that no. was written about three weeks ago by Phil, Phil Coulter. Coulter? No, that's purely for the rugby team. Oh, thank the God. Irish Republic of Ireland football team would sing the Irish national anthem. Um, and the Northern Irish football team would sing God Save the Queen. Let's let's not get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! But uh, I was very glad to see Frank Carson on the list. I was glad to see Eamon reclaiming Frank Carson. Frank Carson, uh, who tells my all-time favourite Irish joke, which is the two Irish builders who go looking for work, and the uh, foreman says to them, "If you're going to work here, you have to know the difference between a joist and a girder." And the fellow says, "Yeah, well, joist wrote Ulysses and girder." (laughs) (laughs) See what he did there? He turned his back on himself. Oh yes. Because we're a bit cleverer than we like to make out. Well, literary, very literary. <laughs> so only be an Irish. So, uh, how will you be uh, marking St Patrick's Day, Barry? Um, I shall be not pro- probably not going on a march uh, <laughs> in London. I shall probably have a read through Eamon's list again and uh, raise a, raise a quiet glass this evening. Uh, I've done most of my St Patrick's Day partying in the past. <laughs> I've had a very good innings. <laughs> So, uh, one of the things uh, that people have been talking about on, on the site, thanks to Andrew, you posted this, I think, originally, about memorable examples of bad behaviour yes. on stage. What triggered this? Well, just it, it just it was one of those things that came up in the office, Dave. It was just one of those things that we, you know, we were, we were uh, moaning about gigs we've been to where people really haven't, haven't demonstrated at all. The one that sprung to my mind uh, was going to see Cypress Hill once. Uh, and live hip-hop is always a questionable uh, <coughs> endeavour. You never quite know what you're going to get. They turned up with one working turntable out of two, uh, which kind of puts the whole mixing thing slightly. Uh, had a fist fight on stage and then threw the working turntable into the audience. Textbook. And we're off after 20 minutes. And I thought this was, this was a, a, you know, a paragon of, of, of bad behaviour. Um, Kate, reviews Kate. Uh, I, don't, I think she actually went to this show. Uh, Keith Jarrett, the, the, the great pianist, who... Uh, it stopped in the middle of a, in the middle of a piece because somebody in the far corner coughed and told them off, saying, "If you're coughing, you're not concentrating." Um, Obviously, yeah. so you know, basically anything involving audience contempt. Um, telegraphing the fact that you really don't want to be there. Well, obviously, uh, having seen Van Morrison a few times, well, there's been, there's there been are the loads continuing the, the audience theme. Piled yeah. in with loads <coughs> on the subject of Van Morrison. Yeah. You know, it does seem like we, we pick him out as a target, but it's not just us. It's the readers that do it as well. I think you got one there, Andrew. I've got one here from um, Bangham in Bingham, um, early seventies free trade hall, Manchester, uh, Van. Uh, Van comes on, Ban thumps into wild night, the place erupts, people rush to the front to take pictures, Van signals Ban to stop, Ban skid to a halt, exit Van, stage left. Uh, and a DJ comes up and, and gives a, a speech informing us that Van is an artist and will we please stop taking photographs as it disturbs Van's concentration. I can't imagine what it's like now, because people nowadays do nothing I'm but sure. yeah. Presumably that was in the days before, or it was just the old flash. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, the Instamatic wasn't invented then. <laughs> I'm just wondering who it is that needs all these pictures of Van Morrison, you know, to, to plaster their, their, their love shrine in their bedrooms. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Or, you know, the, or the tattoo on the chest of the Partridge style. There's extraordinary examples of people actually th- throwing um, things from the stage into the audience. 
the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yes. Um, there's an entire film about the hopeless career of the Brian Jonestown Massacre, which is a very good film, actually. Yes. Uh, and uh, this is called, according to Elzo, they were in Tufnell Park in 2006. And Anton of the group spent most of the night drunkenly abusing the audience until he finally picked up a chair and threw it into the crowd as a heckler. Mm. Now, would you feel if that happened to you? Would you feel justified in 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 throwing the in throwing it back, or you know? You certainly want your money back at the very least. <laughs> yeah. Do you see our friend Joaquin Phoenix, who's continuing <laughs> oh, his, yeah, his uh, yeah, succession of uh, you know uh, uh, destructive acts, uh, d- appeared as a stand-up comic the other day and uh, took issue with a heckler, and uh, started telling the heckler how much money he had on the bank. That one really endears you to an audience. That. My favourite moment from the, the my favourite moment from the Oscars this year was when Ben Stiller come out as Joaquin Phoenix. All oh, right, with the beard and the glasses, yeah. it was fantastic. You got one there. I've got one here. I'm not sure who it's from, but it's about Julian Cope uh, in the Hammersmith Palais in the early 1980s. It says Julian Cope did not seem happy that support band the Wooden Top stole the show and were called back for an encore. Uh, so Julian snapped the microphone stand and proceeded to f- perform surgery on his bare chest with yeah. the sharp edge. Bit of bit of an Iggy Pop. Vibe I remember that was a bit of a news story. That was he. he uh, yeah, he, he more or less kind of uh, sacrificed himself and bled all over the audience. So far, there's you another want- Julian Cope yeah. one here actually um, from Steve Hill. It says he took his wife to see Julian Cope at the Grand Theatre in Swansea. He took his wife, who isn't at all interested in music. Now I would say <laughs> Sorry, that's a high Julian risk, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, so the clue go. is in that line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says he was. I thought off his head. During the set, though, he crawled up and down the aisle making guttural sexual noises at intermittent intervals. The bugger stopped right next to my wife and made an orgasmic moan at her. She still hasn't forgiven him. She now calls Julian Cope that horrible man. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, that that is the reason those of us who like Julian Cope go to see Julian Cope for those kind of antics. But, you know, you shouldn't be be taking plus ones to Julian Cope concerts, should you? No. It's it's purely for the... You've got got to know if you've been to uh, any fall concerts. I mean, that's part of the attraction, is Marky Smith's complete ignoring of the audience is part of of the appeal. And assaulting his own band sometimes, or being assaulted by his own band. That's it's part of the I mean, if he said at some point, it's really nice to see you here tonight, I'd like to introduce you, 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 you'd want your money back at that point. Yeah. You have a responsibility when taking somebody along to, you know, you've got to vet have it. a reasonable yeah. chance that they're going to enjoy yourself, to yeah. enjoy themselves. You might take somebody who didn't like football to a cup final, but don't take them to a wet Tuesday no. night at Barnsley, you know, and expect them to have a wonderful time. They're not yeah. going to, are they? No, I, I, um, I went to see you two on the roof a couple of weeks ago for this very magazine and uh, and it was my wife's birthday and I managed to get a plus one to be on the roof and I I was quite pleased with myself and said to her we can go in half an hour time happy birthday darling we can go aren't I great to see you two on the roof she said actually I've got to go to Nando's with with my daughter (laughs) she's not a U2 fan but I did feel slightly deflated at this point but she knew she wouldn't enjoy it she doesn't like U2 and I I enjoyed it much more on my own and at the end of the day Nando's is Nando's that Friday night at Nando's yeah can you see the key for Nando's (laughs) (laughs) not my joke read a Mark Woods joke I have to give that one can you see the key for Nando's sorry Uh, another another thing which everybody's been pitching in on the subject of this week is, is a picture that's in the magazine and is also reproduced in, in staggering scale on the website, webmagazine.co.uk. Mm-hmm. 
is Mick Jones's lockup. That's fantastic. Tell us the story of this, Andrew. <laughs> Mick Jones's lockup. Uh, Mick Jones. Mick Jones out of the clash. Mick Jones out of the clash. Yes, not from far enough. Uh, <laughs> he has basically, in, in in a in a move, I think that will uh, will charm a lot of our readers, built his own personal museum. Uh, what he's done is he's just hoarded everything he can possibly lay his hands on. It is a pop cultural museum. Um, judging by the photograph, it's yet to be properly classified according to library standards. Uh, but it's Jury full. Uh, yeah, it's full of everything. Uh, it is it is a a time slice of, of British, primarily British popular culture um, of the past forty years or whatever. Uh, look at the pictures. Everything from actual real life Clash shirts with the stencils to Joey Bishop albums to copies of. Doctor Who Adventures magazine to uh, you know DVDs um, and rare albums and a copy of Hip Hop Connection. Um, there's absolutely everything. You copies of Smash Hits in there. Copies, copies of Smash Hits. Isn't, yeah. he, isn't he giving it? Isn't he giving it to a museum or something? It's on the show somewhere. It's on it? show. You can go and see it. Um, it at London's Chelsea Space until the 18th of April. Chelsea Space. Google that. Um, and I think there are plans to try and get it a more of a permanent home. I think, I think there's something like that. Yeah. Because I, what fascinated me about this is, speaking as somebody who, who, the other day, when trying to find an album sleeve to be photographed for this magazine, finally thought, I have too much stuff. This mm. has just gone crazy. And what am I going to do with it? Um, I you think still got a Jones, load of vinyl. Oh yeah, I've still got a load of vinyl. Still got, but you keep magazines, you keep books, yeah. you keep everything, and and because you never get over that fourteen-year-old thrill yeah. of acquiring something, even though you've clearly just got too much, so much that you can't find anything. And yeah. I think in the future, I think what Mick Jones is trying to do is give it to somebody, so so he can go and visit his stuff. Yeah. But somebody else has the, you know, has the task of looking. But at also, it. you like to think that by that accumulating this stuff wasn't entirely pointless. That it is somehow a worthwhile record of the stuff that you thought was good, and other people might think was good. See, I wonder if that's going to change with something like Spotify. Where since I started Spotify, I haven't actually bought. I've just thinking about it. I haven't bought any music because it's all there now, and I can yeah. listen to it for nothing. So I wonder if you'll stop. Collecting stuff, acquiring yeah. stuff. If everything is free, or oh, even just acquiring stuff and then uh, and then letting it go. Because I know Fraser, you do this with books, don't you? I do. Yeah. Like Fraser's reading a book a week, but just gives it away afterwards, don't you? I get rid of fifty books of the weekend. I just took them to the charity shop. Yeah, I get rid of everything. And you do you draw any anything? distinction between CDs? That's all I keep. Do you draw any? So you don't keep any books at all? No. Not hardbacks. Not I, nothing. I keep reference books. Everything else, I give to friends or I leave on the tube. Oh uh, yes, this is it. Yeah. Book donation. Yeah. So but people do think that um, getting rid of books is, is a terrible, terrible thing because we should respect books and we should cling on to them. But giving away CDs and, and, and DVDs is perfectly acceptable. But books, you read them once, don't you? With very Largely. few exceptions, you read them once. When you put them on your shelf, what you're really doing is kind of indulging this little vanity project of mm. showing yourself how much you've read. The <laughs> CDs should be the things you hang on to because you will listen to them again at some point. I worry personally if I've kind of passed the event horizon where if I started listening to them all again now I wouldn't finish them until I died. You know, oh. they, I've got too many records to get in. Even just want to listen to them once again. But the point is, 
You don't really need Your all those Your life expectancy is about 95, Andrew, mm. statistically. Okay, if you're well, like that fella from the war, you'll be able to hear them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, the point is... a long time left. The point is, he doesn't want to hear the records he had when he was 18, does he? He's 112, Barry. He doesn't want the Edison cylinders anymore. He must have a fair amount of stuff in the life. Yes. One of the great rewards of a long life. Oh, you get to listen to Principal Edwards' Magic Theatre's third album. Well, I've got, okay. I've got, I've got, I've got shelves of acid houses. I'm going to want to listen to that when I'm in my bath chair. I don't have very many jiggling. CDs. I reduce my CDs down just to an absolute hardcore. I've got all the rest of it on the iPod or yeah. coming through on Spotify. What? But you're right about books. I've got a whole load of books just to show off, really. Yeah. Say, look at all the books. And boy, yeah, yeah. they gather dust. And yeah, you're, and you're really, really showing off to yourself, aren't you? Well, occasionally, if I ever let anybody into the house. They're very warming in an environment, actually. You know, Anthony Pohl wrote a book called Books Do Furnish a Room, didn't he? Yeah. uh, Which is true. Yes. Because imagine if all the books went from your house. It'd look a bit... If all, yeah, the, if, all the books went from, if all the books went from my house, my wife would be ecstatic. Our, uh, look how lovely it is and clean it is. You see, that's the other thing that's changed with books and records. Is that I remember when you used to buy stuff in the seventies? You thought if I don't buy it now, I'll never get it. You'll never get it. Yeah. No, it's just Whereas there all the time. Do you leave yeah, them on the tube as an act of daily kindness? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. Because that's that's become quite a big thing. I was reading about this in America. Is where it? People are starting to do just acts of daily kindness. Go on. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember going to see a guy present on this. So he would drive every day over a toll bridge, and he would always pay for the person behind him. So he'd pay a dollar for yeah. the car behind him. Of course, in this country, it would just cause complete confusion. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get behind him. Yeah. Well, he's already paid. What do you mean he's already paid? I want to pay. Yeah. But this is like um, a new form of charity. Ah. You're starting to do stuff like leaving a book for someone, paying... So ne- next year's comic relief will consist of Chris Moyles paying you, paying your toll for you, will it? Now that's an interesting... I, I, think, that, I, think, I think giving a yes. book to somebody is an entirely laudable thing. Let me ask you this question. If you arrive in a station car park, right, just as somebody's leaving, and you get, you ask them if you can get their ticket from them, is are they you know is that is that a, you know socially worthwhile think, act of charity or is it me just trying to pump some free parking? I think they would have to offer you. Yeah. That would be the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. We've all given away travel cards at the end of the day. Here you go, mate. Haven't we? No, I haven't. Haven't you? Well, I'm no. always swayed by those signs on the tube saying, don't do this because it finances local drug dealers. You know? What? Giving some, <laughs> <the> helping <laughs> somebody get home and save a pound <laughs> finances local drug dealing. Ah, pathetic. I know, I know. But, oh, well, that's interesting. Mm. Other, acts of daily kindness. Of I daily like the kindness. idea of a book, actually. I might start doing that. There's a, there's a website called bookcrossing.com which will send you a load yeah. of stickers that you have to buy and then you sticker the book and you can follow its progress around the world as people pass it on. That's oh, brilliant. I like that. That's what you want. That's like yeah. ringing birds, isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. one of those quilt things. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> A quilt made of CDs. So one thing I've noticed, though, I think it'd be trickier to do that with, uh, with CDs because the, the, the kind of intrinsic value of the CD has plummeted so much, hasn't it? I go into Dalston Oxfam every now and again to drop stuff off, Dave, because I'm charitable. <laughs> and then I have a quick look in the CD pile, and the CD pile is full of CDs that I myself compiled over the years for various <laughs> magazines. As well as the new U2 album. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, here's, you know, here's, uh, you know, here's a free CD from Mixmag. Here's a free CD from Select. Here's a free CD from, you know, Q Magazine. What, all that driving with DJs, whatever it was called? Oh, all that kind of thing, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Your past is there in the exactly. Dalston. Exactly, haunting me. With is that it? Have we finished? You've got to go somewhere, Barry, haven't you? I've got to go somewhere. Uh, You've got um, green bagels to eat, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> St. Patrick's Day. I've got Red Riding to watch. Oh, right. Uh-huh. 
Maybe next week. I'm on strike from road riding. Why? Well, because that's where I come from. It's fantastic. I think it's a name. It's an attempt to blacken the fair name of the West Riding of York. Oh, God, yeah. The well, it's not that well-known tourist destination. Well, yeah. it's, it's a very beautiful Wasn't place. Wasn't that West scary? Riding, York, yeah. Sorry? Wasn't that scary? Wasn't that bleak? As it looks... Now, I read two I of David Peace's books. David Peace comes from the same one-horse town in Yorkshire that I come from. He's obviously a lot younger than me. And so it's a very odd sensation to read... I think I read 1974, and I read that damn United. And let me tell you, it's a very odd sensation to read a harrowing murder carnage story, which is set in the town that you grew up in, including the pubs that you went into, the schools, you know what I mean, the shops. Suddenly, with this kind of thing, this bloody story imposed upon it. It's a very very weird thing. I don't know what I think about it, actually. Oh well, well, well. Is that it? I think it's that's We're it. Done. Good uh, night, viewers. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.